Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, so before we get started with this episode, I just want to give you a bit of a heads up, I guess a bit of a trigger warning that this episode will be exploring transitioning, medically transitioning if you're a trans person, maybe some of the repercussions associated with that, some of the negative press and the negative side effects of that. If any of that is triggering at all, please feel free to stop listening at any point and come back to it. It is totally okay. You just do things on your own time. So with that in mind, let's get started with the episode. This is the original intersectional feminist podcast that aims to subvert and challenge the norm by providing a platform to voices, stories and narratives ignored by the mainstream. For this series of episodes, we're exploring reproductive health and in true kick in the karaoke form, we've got an amazing selection of individuals to tell their story. So far, we've covered abortion both in the 60s and what getting an abortion looks like in the UK today. We spoke to Dr Verity about the impact that funding cuts and that buzzword austerity is having on our sexual health services. This week, we're focusing on trans reproductive health care. And I feel like I need to do a bit of a disclaimer here. It's really important to point out that this conversation and topic by no means is reducing trans people to the sum of their parts. And I know that sometimes conversations uh, surrounding trans people can often just focus on their physical bodies. And this is not about that. When we talk about looking after our reproductive health care and the education around it, the conversation tends to revolve around the experience of cisgendered men and women. And when I think back about my own experience at school, I never learned anything about what trans people could do to manage and look after their sexual health care or what concerns they might have, which is so ridiculous when you consider the impact that medically transitioning could have on your reproductive system and then the financial cost on top of that. I mean, this is why it's so important just to include LGBTQ plus sex education in schools in general. But that is a completely different episode, I guess. Anyway, this isn't for me to tell you about, because let's face it, I have absolutely no authority on the matter. But I'm trying to be the best ally that I can. And sometimes that means listening to other experiences that aren't your own. So with that in mind, let's meet my next guest, Kate. Okay, hi, uh, I'm Kate. I'm a 40-something Asian mixed race, introverted, queer, trans woman. Um, and that's really cool, actually. It's really nice to introduce myself like like this. Um, so many people ask me to introduce myself by what I do and not by who I am. So mm. thank you for Aww. asking me to do it this way. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much for coming on this episode. So I guess my first question is, what is your journey so far? What's your experience? The reason I kind of got into, into sexual health in, in the first place was actually during my time as a medical student. I transitioned as a medical student and it was a tough time. I um, 
I remember coming into the the medical school and they I wanted to make a new start I wanted to um, you know be my own person and I didn't want to have the kind of the baggage of uh, my past coming along with me um, but inevitably that stuff all kind of ends up catching up and um, I, I did have a really hard time and the medical school assigned uh, a personal tutor to me and they at that time this was in the 90s they they really didn't do a lot of that um, but, you know, if I had a bad day, if somebody said something horrible to me, if I got misgendered, um, then I would just go along to her, I'd knock on her door and she'd always be there to have a chat to me and make a cup of tea. And, you know, even when I was like down in the sort of pits of depression, um, she'd just help, help me through. And she was a sexual health doctor. Um, and uh, it kind of like sparked my interest in the in the profession. And I could see someone who I really kind of... I aspired to be someone like her, someone who was caring and could give the time uh, for a student like me and for for her patients. And that's kind of what like got me got me really interested in it. You know, I have to say, like after, after that time, I, I I spent a long, a lot of my sort of working life trying to get away from that whole thing about being trans. Um, I had, I guess, a lot of shame about it and that sort of feeling that. Uh, you know, I wasn't. I was a bit of an imposter if I was kind of, you know, uh, being open and, and out about it. Um, and it was uh, it was quite a few years later, quite a long time later, um, that uh, you know I remember seeing like an email go around at, at work about uh, a colleague um, who was transitioning at that time. And and he and I are actually really good friends now. We kind of know each other at the time, but I didn't know him then. Um, and he. Um, was coming out. He was just sort of announcing that this was this is going to happen. He was coming back to work and he was going to change his name, change you know his pronouns, and the, you know just trying to be uh, uh, trying to explain what uh, the transition meant to, to to him. And I remember thinking, you know, maybe I ought to reach out to him and uh, and just you know just kind of like say, hey, hi. There's you know if you if you need to have a chat to someone, if you need a sort of uh, you know, friendly ear to um, to to listen to. Then um, you know, I'm I'm here, and I I thought long and hard about it, and I decided not to. In the end, I just didn't feel like I was in the right place to to do that. Um, and then later, I heard that he'd had a really really tough time, and um, you know, he could really have done with a friend around at that at that time, um, and it just. Kind of, it kind of hit me at that point. It was like I wouldn't say it's not. It's a bit cliche, isn't it? It's that sort of road to Damascus moment. But it's about as close as I can get to that. And it kind of made me think that, you know, I have those experiences of my own my own life and what it what it meant to um, to go through being a trans person working in the NHS, um, and I have that skills and those abilities to be able to help other people and if I don't do that then perhaps I'm you know I'm you know I'm wasting that opportunity um and so it happened around about that time that um one of my colleagues who actually knew me from medical school he came up to me um we worked we worked together and we were really really good friends um and he said that um that it was a group of um trans people within within Brighton at that time had come to us in the clinic and said, you know, we really want to set up a sexual health service that's like more appropriate to the needs of trans people. Um, and uh, my colleague came up to me and said, Kate, would you like to do this? And I really thought that really hard at that time. And I thought, oh my God. 
And then I thought, well, what happened? They kind of happened around about the same time. It happened with um, a guy at work, and I hadn't said anything at the time. And I said, okay, this is clearly a sign of some, some sort. You know, I'm not religious or superstitious or anything like that at all. This is clearly a sign. So um, I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And that's that's how we founded Planet T. You know, a lot of people say, oh, okay, you just, it's great you started this kind of Because I know it wasn't me at all. I didn't start it. It was, I was actually quite sort of reluctant to to, um, to get involved in, at, at the beginning. It was actually other people. It was the community. It was people in, in the city saying that, you know, we really need a service that... Um, that looks after us as mm. trans and gender diverse people, um, and you know, puts us sort of you know front and center um, and takes takes into consideration you know what our healthcare needs are, um, and so yeah, it's grown from there. Amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned Clinic T, mm-hmm. and it's a a service that is as you said specialising and putting trans and gender diverse people at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Why is a service like that needed? It's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why why it's needed. A lot of reasons. Um, you know, from a if you look at some of the research, I'll just start on that that level to start off with. Um, you know, we we had done a study in, in Brighton, you know, quite a few years before that, showing that the that trans people weren't coming to sexual health services. And when we asked why, people said, you know, the service just isn't appropriate to our needs. And people had bad experiences. You know, people had been, you know, even things like being misgendered on on the phone, just booking an appointment, uh, that really does put you off. Um, and uh, you know, the the services were were really you know binary identified. You know, at that time. Um, like a lot of places now, even now, you know that we had like you know separate male and female waiting rooms. Everything was just very, very binary. You know? wow. um, yeah, we've changed. Well, that's changed now. Um, you know, and I, th- I, you know, I really, t- I encourage other clinics to, to you know, come and have a talk to us if you know you really want to look at how you can you can change your, uh, your, your you know, the infrastructure to to make it more welcoming. But um, you know that so yeah on a kind of you know on a sort of research level it's it, you know we, we we found that that's 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 important and that was, that study was like from two thousand and eight and if you look at a recent study that was done looking at the same same question it was done amongst five hundred odd trans people within the UK it's the same kind of rates you know you know more than half of the people who were, who were interviewed hadn't had a sexual health screen done you know about you know nearly you know nearly 60 percent people never had an hiv test done in the past and i think that you know it's a whole group of people that are are missing out because they just don't feel able to to go to the service and i think on a more personal level you know it's it's quite difficult as a as a as a trans person to um to try to explain to uh, a clinician who may have no idea about what it's like to be be trans you know about what what that feeling is actually really like yeah. um you know that feeling of dysphoria um it's kind of it's really hard to explain i guess um i don't know who you know who uh came up with this analogy um but you know i'd love to credit them but i can't i can't remember who it was but um i remember i'm saying it's like it's like trying to explain Explain just for you. It's like trying to explain grief to someone who's never felt it before. You can explain it on kind of one level. You can say it's that feeling of sadness, it's that feeling of loss, but it doesn't really get across that really deep kind of visceral feeling of what it's like. Um, and being, you know, feeling dysphoria is kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like that. You can't really. It's really hard to explain to someone else what that's what that's genuinely like. Um, you know, for me, that feeling of it doesn't really go away. Um, you know, being going through the medical transition, it kind of. I guess to extend that analogy, it kind of gave me 
you know, taught me how to cry, I suppose, in some some respects, it, it, you know, in a sort of figurative kind of way. It allowed me that release to be able to express grief, but express my dysphoria in, in, in that way. So um, it didn't ever make it go away, it just gave me a, a, a way of being able to, to deal with it. And I think that's true for so many um, trans people, you know, whether they're at the beginning of their transition or whether it's, it's something that is well into their past and it's part, you know, part of their history um this for never exactly goes away um and trying to trying to you know explain that to um clinicians where they've never really understood or, or find it really hard to understand um was i think you know part of the real driving reason why we why we really wanted to to um build that service so that we could we, we you know we could get that understanding into in, into yeah. into my colleagues and we could um really um yeah just 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 you know be on the same level as the as the as the people that we were looking after absolutely i mean i think about my own experience of going to the doctors mm. and it's a scary one couple that with potentially being misgendered mm. of not being understood that feeling of dysphoria i can't even begin to relate to it i can totally understand how that can be quite an unsettling and daunting mm. experience i'm also really conscious of not trying to medical of not medicalizing mm. the trans experience yeah. you know i really i'm really conscious of that but then in equal measure i feel like we live in a society that really does i don't know what do you what's your take on yeah, it yeah it yeah i think society does um probably un, unfairly and unnecessarily yeah. uh, over medicalizes that um but you know on 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 the one hand you know as as healthcare professionals you know people are coming to us for medical right, advice true. um and you got you got to um, you've got to take into account that that that, that sort of trans part of somebody's life um, is 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 kind of that it's part of their identity, but it doesn't necessarily have to impact on the the medical care that they that they get. You know, if you go to your doctor for some whatever reason, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's related to being trans at all. Right. Um, and um, but you know, in this in this situation, sometimes when it comes to sexual health or reproductive health, often often those from those things are kind of you know really tightly intertwined um and sadly what what tends to happen is that um there are you know that many clinicians just you know don't have that that knowledge or that training um to be able to understand how those um you know how that experience of being being trans or being gender diverse um impacts on uh, someone's sexual health and someone's reproductive health. You know, it it can be something as, um, you know, as critical as the you know hormone treatment affecting somebody's fertility, or it can be, uh, you know, something um, like you know somebody's uh, identity affecting their, their their sexuality, or it can be just you know their um, people's experience of. Um, uh, uh, negotiating safe sex or you know relationships and how that relates to their their gender it can be, it can be really you know multifaceted um and so yeah it, you, you're right we we don't want to over medicalize things but sometimes we can't always get away from that need to yeah. to have that medical knowledge um as well right I'm really conscious of the fact that our healthcare, for example, is very expensive mm. in the States, whereas in the UK we have the NHS. So does that make accessing healthcare for trans people any easier? Like how straightforward is it to access? Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it, I think you can't really underestimate this, um, how important the NHS is. Um, uh, 
and the fact that we have this network of sexual health clinics. I mean, I'm talking more broadly, not just about about um, uh, trans people here. Yeah. Um, if we if we look at uh, you know rates of, of of ill health in in the U.S., if you look like broadly across the whole population, actually the U.S. isn't doing particularly well at all. It has the it has really great healthcare if you can afford it, yeah. but loads of people can't, and so people fall through the gaps. Um, and that uh, that um, ability for uh, you know us living here in the U.K. to be able to go and freely access. Um, you know, sexual health care, you know, you don't need an appointment often you just pitch up at a at, at a clinic. Um, you don't pay for the prescriptions that you're that you're 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 given there. You um you, you know, you'll get to see someone that, you know, often that day or very, you know, very close to it if you're booking an appointment. Um you know, you just don't get that, you know, you know, elsewhere. And I think and that's particularly true if you look at the healthcare of trans people. That you know, as I said, you know, there are barriers to, towards that. But you know, in other parts of the world, those barriers are, you know, are are really absolute. Um, the the rates of HIV in some parts of the world, amongst particularly amongst trans women, are, are huge. You know, if you look at studies, you can see that. You know, in say, say India, for example, or in parts of South America, you, you know, you're seeing maybe sort of you know forty percent, you know, thirty percent of people who are who are trans are HIV positive as well, and that's largely due um, to people being stigmatised, being marginalised, not having access to, to healthcare, being denied access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, people. Um, uh, you know, if they're facing sexual violence, they can't access the help that they need. Um, people living in poverty and you know they are forced into not making a choice but having to forced into uh into sex work because that's the only way that they can they can make a living and often having to work in an unsafe environment um and so you know many of those factors just don't don't exist here in the uk because we have a health service that that, that gives um all of us irrespective of our gender um that that access to really, really good, high quality healthcare, mm. you know, and I'm I'm proud to work in the NHS because of that. I think it's a wonderful institution, you know. I um, you know, I think it's something that we we need to cherish and to you know and to support. If you want to think about your fertility or your reproductive health, mm. what's the system like to navigate? That's where sometimes that you know the, the things don't work as well as they as they could do, and that's 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 the difficulty. Um, uh, for for a trans person accessing fertility care, um, it can be it can feel like a um, you know a bit like a minefield really. It's um, the uh, care varies from from place to place, so there's a bit of a postcode lottery. If you're trying to access something like um, gamete storage, so that's storage of uh, sperm or eggs to preserve your fertility, um, then um, Getting that funded through the NHS really varies depending on where you live. Um, now we hope that that's going to change. Um, at the moment, there's a there's a legal case um, going through, and I hope you know by the time this podcast airs that that actually there is going to be a positive resolution to that. I can't really speak very much about that at the moment because it's still um, subject to a legal case. Um, but you know we are you know we are optimistic that um, that there's going to be a positive change there. You know, even if you look at you know things like maternity service, for example, um, 
They are, you know, it's great that we have free maternity care. You know, we take that for granted um, here, here in the UK. But, you know, imagine as a transmasculine person going to, 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 to navigate uh, pregnancy care services, it can feel like a very alien environment. Mm. Um, you know, I'm just going to give a quick plug to, to, you know, two amazing midwives that I work with you know, in Brighton, and they have done the most amazing um things to, to uh, make their service gender inclusive and um, I, I, and I think that you know around if you look around the NHS there's little pockets of you know really really great practice it's just a matter of trying to find them Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You mentioned gamete storage. Mm. Is it a concern, you know, when you decide if you want to medically transition? Do you, is it a concern to think about your fertility? It, it, is, it is a really important thing to, to, yeah. to consider. It's a really important thing to consider. It's not an inevitability that if you take, if you start medical transition or if you take hormones that you, you will inevitably become infertile. I think that's something that's really important to, to, right. to, to bear in mind. You know, a lot of my, my work is actually talking about contraception. So in terms of fertility, inevitably, if you are taking uh, hormone therapy, you will have a decline in, in, in fertility. And obviously, if you ha- then go on, to have um, surgery, then um, you know that 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 uh, loss of fertility will will, will be permanent. Mm. Um, and you know, for someone, particularly if they're, they're young, you know, you might be thinking of having a family. Um, it's not the first thing that comes comes to mind. You know, yeah. particularly when you're trying to negotiate the complexities of transition. It's um, it's 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 often something that doesn't sort of come to to the forefront. But then. You know, if you if if I've talked about it, or um, you know, my my colleagues working in gender identity have talked about it, um, then you've got the next sort of hurdle to think. Well, if we can't um, access it on the NHS, then how am I going to afford to get this paid for privately? And yeah, then it become then it does become a um, you know, there's an issue there's an issue there of, of you know a huge barrier to being able to. Um, Get that care that you that you that you really need. Yeah, and often people are then having to make a choice about, you know, is it my transition or my fertility, and that's a horrible, horrible place to put anybody in. Right. I feel like in the news, I always see some sort of controversy surrounding trans kids, and um, I was reading an article today actually about the ability or the option to give children is it hormone blockers? Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about? I guess being 
a trans child and being put on hormone blockers mm. like will this affect fertility is that something to take into consideration it is something to take into consideration yes um, you know what just just to i just want to make clear the scope of my practice isn't is isn't adults and right, you know, i yeah, don't of i course. don't look after children but um but yeah it is uh it's part of the medical transition pathway for for children to to have um essentially hormone blocking medication which just puts puberty on pause right um and Probably the hardest part, I think, for for many trans people is that is that process of puberty. Um, you know, that understanding that uh, you know if you come to that that that, that understanding of, of of you know knowing that your gender isn't you know doesn't match up with your body, um, then seeing your body change in this in this this very um, essentially the wrong wrong way for you is mm. a very distressing experience to 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 go through. Um, and so the idea of, of uh, blockers is just to put that on hold, um, and uh, but it has it does have an effect on on, on fertility. Yes, it, you know, it, you know, inevitably does. Um, so uh, you know, it's something that that is discussed with um, you know children and uh, you know young people as they as as they're going through transition, but. You know, as I said before, it's not mm. always the first thing on your mind. If yeah, you, you know, if you're true. like a, you know, if you're a young teenager, you know, thinking about, oh, how do I preserve my fertility? What happens if I want to have a family in the future? Yeah. Those aren't kind of questions that are like foremost in your in your mind. And so you mentioned that um, you also work in contraception. What does that world look like for for trans people navigating that? At the moment, if you if you if you look at how. Uh, the information about you know contraception or reproductive health more generally um, yeah. is is couched. It's 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 very cis normative. It's very heteronormative, um, and so you know as a young queer person, as a young trans person, um, just trying to trying to um, see how do I fit in in all of this um, is is really difficult. You know, I I remember having a look through our our information leaflets. Um, or about the various different types of contraception out there, um, and I'm just thinking, this is, these are really, really, these are so gendered, and these are really binary. They all talk about they talk about girls, they talk about women. Mm. Um, but if you're a transmasculine person, and you know we're trying to explain contraception and say, well, here's a booklet, go and go and have a think about it. Um, we've had a bit of a discussion, and you look at you look through this, and you just think, this doesn't really speak to me it doesn't doesn't it doesn't answer the questions that i need to know um and in fact it actually can be a little bit counterproductive you know you're when you're when you're you're almost like you're reading about somebody else you're not reading about something that is relevant um and so it's something that we want to change you know we um there's a couple of colleagues of mine are working in the clinic and we, we you know we've done some uh work to and ask ask people who are coming to the clinic, ask, ask people in the community about you know what information do they need, what 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 are the questions that are relevant, you know how would they like to see us present present this information, you know how how can we write these better, um, and I think that is you know that across the board I think that's really important, you know it's it's part of that thing I was talking about earlier about trying to make um, healthcare for trans people like more. Uh, appropriate to their needs and putting people right up at the front. Right. In your work, do you ever work with sex workers, trans sex workers? Mm-hmm. Are there specific needs that we should be thinking about when it comes to 
trans sex workers when we're thinking about, I guess, contraception? So, yeah, I do. I do look after quite a lot of uh, people who are sex working in all sorts of different ways. And I think you've got to think that sex working is uh, there's so many there's you know, there isn't a sort of stereotype of what someone who is a, a sex yeah. worker is, you know, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just trying to be uh, responsive to exactly what that person's uh, needs are. But yeah, it's one of those things that often isn't really talked about. And, you know, when we talk about um, trans people or sex workers, often there's this kind of feeling that, you know, somebody is being uh, victimised or sort of pushed into it, whereas often the people that I'm seeing are, are people who have made that choice, uh, and it's a positive choice for their lives, that that's what they want to do. Um, and, you know, for us as uh, healthcare professionals, um, we are, are there not to make like moral judgments about, you know, this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just to say we want you to do, do this in a way that is safe and looks after your, your sexual health. Um, and a lot of things we can do, you know, um, for example, uh, the um, issue of PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis um, is something that, you know, is particularly, it's pretty relevant and pertinent at this time. You know, we are uh, in an era now where we're starting to see here in the UK, you know, the, a downturn in the number of new HIV diagnoses. Um, and that's fantastic. Um you know, PrEP is one part of that. It's also about, you know, we're doing more testing. People who are diagnosed positive have started on treatment earlier. But PrEP is a really key part of that, uh, that downturn in new, new HIV diagnoses. Um, and it's something that a lot of times, particularly trans people, aren't really aware of. Um, you know, they might have heard a little bit about it. A lot of the uh, campaigns and the, the literature and the uh, advertising out there is uh, aimed at cisgendered gay men. And um, and obviously that's that's great that, that, that there is that information out there and that, that, that group of people, you know, are, are very sort of, you know, uh, proactive about coming and talking to us about PrEP. Yeah. But, you know, often we're seeing people who are... Uh, who are trans people, who are sex workers of you know any gender, who just aren't aware that this is something that might actually be beneficial for for you know for them. Um, so that's you know that's 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 definitely one one side of things. Um, you know, as I was saying before, you know, just being just being trans, being on hormone therapy doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, not um, going to be at risk of pregnancy. If that's the the the, the you know if you if physically you're able to do that, it's about really trying to. Um, understand from uh, somebody else's point of view about what healthcare means uh, to them, how they want to access it. Because um, I think if you if you ask people, it's very rare that someone will say, you know, they don't ever want to access healthcare at all. Some people do, but most people don't. Uh, and it's just a matter of finding about what is the best way for for that person and sometimes you know it can be something they might not have thought of and we can we can suggest it other times you know they've got a very clear idea uh, about what works best so mm. you know just a matter of asking and finding out yeah absolutely i just came across today actually is forced sterilization of trans people a thing I read somewhere that it was in the US. Is it a thing in the UK or is it a thing? So it's not a thing in the UK. So let me, yeah. let me make it clear. So the the whole it's a really uh, it's a really important issue to to talk about. And thank you for bringing it up uh, because in parts of the world, legal recognition of someone's gender identity is. Uh, contingent upon them undergoing some kind of procedure that, that results in sterilisation. So, um, 
And to be honest with you, that is absolutely abhorrent. That's a horrible yeah. situation, you know, morally repugnant. Uh, and it's just uh, not representative of real lives for, you know, for uh, people who are trans. Um, you know, uh, the, you know, and rightly so, the uh, United Nations has condemned this. The European Court of Human Rights has declared this uh, illegal. And yet, even, even after that, you know, there's about, I think it was 14 countries in Europe you know, Europe has a geographical landmass rather than the EU um, that still uh, insist on uh, on sterilisation as as part of the, the the requirement for legal gender recognition. Um, there was an there was an article really recently about the the situation in in Japan. Yeah. I think yeah, you might you might have seen this and um, and the uh, you know this came from a report by Human Rights Watch um, and they. You know the situation there for trans people is is really really dire. I mean, it's just you know the the, the to 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 have a legal recognition of your gender, um, you you need to have a you need firstly need a medical diagnosis, which is still in, in over there considered to be a mental health diagnosis. Um, you uh, need to be you need to be unmarried. You need to not have any children under the age of twenty, um, and you need to have. Uh, undergone uh, a, a medical procedure that, that essentially renders you sterile and remodels your genitalia according to the gender that you're presenting in. So you need to have a, essentially a, 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 a medical and surgical transition and to, to not either have children or to uh, to be able to conceive children in the future. And I think that is just... Um, I don't have words to describe it. That is just horrific, mm. um, you know. And we're very fortunate that you know the uh, the, the the Gender Recognition Act um, here in the UK. It does need updating. It does need, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, bringing into the modern age. Uh, but at least we we never stipulated that as part of the requirement for legal gender recognition. Um, and even if you look at you know if you look at look at Sweden. Um, you know, they were one of the first countries to um, bring in uh, legal rec- gender recognition. I think it was back in the seventies, and at that time, they did um, insist on um, on sterilisation as part of that um, part of that process. And that was changed in twenty thirteen. Um, and uh, and Sweden's paid compensation to the trans people who wow. were, or they've offered trans- uh, compensation to the trans people who were affected by this. Um, and I think that's that's. That's really what needs that needs to happen. I mean, you know, ideally it shouldn't shouldn't be there at all. But um, in in countries where that has happened, that needs it needs to change. And it needs to change now. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine mm. what that must feel like for trans people having uh, living under that and having mm. to go through that. It it is. It, you're right. Terrifying. I think is yeah. the right word. It's just it's just immoral, really. Yeah. To, uh, to have to you know insist on that, and it just it is born out of this sense of moral panic, really, isn't it? There, there is there is no uh, there is no scientific justification or evidence behind this, um, you know, and it, it's just seeing uh, you know us as trans people as being you know somehow you know a, a second class citizen that we yeah. you know we can't have you know that right or that autonomy you know over our own reproductive 
health. Yeah, um, and it's just yeah, it's just I just find it uh, it's horrible and just completely unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, it's like something out of like Handmaid's Tale, mm. you know. Which I know is the, the funny thing with Handmaid's Tale is that in theory everything has already happened. You know, she didn't include Atwood didn't include anything in that yeah. book that hadn't happened. And so, how can we be better allies to trans people, specifically concerning their sexual health, their reproductive mm. health, and maybe to to the doctors, to the you know to the NHS, mm. our local services? How can we? I think the fact that we're we're talking about this now is actually brilliant because I think that you know we need to actually get uh, a discussion going and uh, have people kind of you know more clued up and more aware and I think that's particularly true of uh, people working in the healthcare sector um, you know talk to you know find ways of being able to uh, talk to your local community talk to talk to trans people who are using your your, your services and to say well is there anything we can do better. Um, you know, are there other people out there who who just don't feel they want to come to the service? Are you are we missing out on a, on a group of people? Um, and that's that's a great way to be, you know, to to to, to be an ally. Um, there, you know, if if you are you know a healthcare provider yourself, you know, don't don't live in ignorance. There's information out there. We're trying to to provide more information. We're trying to do more training. We're trying to talk to more 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 people. Um, you know, don't. Just assume that uh, you can wing it when it comes mm. to looking after trans people, you know, because there's 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 stuff out there that is really important to to understand and to know about, and a lot of that it will only come by by you know by talking to um, to people uh, who actually are living, who you know actually are trans and who are yeah. living with it. Final question. What are you working on? Anything you're working on? How can we find you? How can we support you? Okay. The platform is yours. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, so to find me, if you want to talk to me, um, Twitter is probably the easiest way to do it. Just at Kate Nambia on Twitter. Um, I am a, a trustee of a charity called Claire Project. Um, it's a peer support uh, charity for trans people in, in Brighton. And I'm really proud to be part of that charity. Um, and we do some amazing things to help people through their transition process, you know, before and after that. Um, and uh, the charity is growing. We're doing, you know, we're doing, you know, more things to be able to reach out to, to, to our community. Um, and I am... Yeah, as I say, I'm really proud to be to be working for them. So you know, do do look us up if you're ever in Brighton. You know, have a regular drop in, um, and it's a great place to be able to come and meet other trans folk um, and just to share some social space and time together. And yeah, it's Amazing. really cool. What's the name again? It's the Claire Project. The Claire Project. Amazing, Kate. Thank you so much thank you. for having a chat and for giving up your time. You know, intellectual and emotional labour. I really appreciate that. So, thank you. Thank you so much to Kate for being my guest on this podcast all about reproductive healthcare in the trans community. I'm so grateful to her. And one of the things that I found when I was listening to Kate was to question the binary in society, going to a, a space, and an important space like a hospital. And if you were a gender non-conforming person or a trans person or a non-binary person and feeling uncomfortable. So I thought that that was a really interesting point. And I think that it's something that I'm going to go away with and think about. And maybe you will too, about questioning the binary in society and thinking about the spaces that you occupy, whether that's, you know, your work or your gym or a hospital that you go to. 
would a trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming person feel comfortable in that space? One of a myriad of ways that cisgendered people could be allies to trans people is about thinking about the spaces that we occupy. If you've listened to this episode and you're a trans person and you want to and you want more information about your sexual health, your reproductive health, there are some amazing practices out there. Obviously, Kate's Clinic T, which is in the Brighton and Hove area, um, but there's also another one called Clinic Q, and then the Terence Higgins Trust. There's a lot of work with trans men and women. Um, so, if that's something that you're interested in, please reach out to them. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It really helps so much. You can get in touch. You can drop me an email, kickinthecariarchy at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at kickkariarchy or you should go follow our brand new Instagram account at Kicking the Kairiarchy where it's got all our illustrations currently and retrospectively and other amazing Kicking the Kairiarchy intersectional feminist content vibes. Next week we will be chatting to Hayden Cross who is the first trans man in the UK to give birth which follows on nicely from our conversation this week with Kate. So yeah, I'm super excited for you to hear that. I can't wait. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.